0: Welcome to Wellness and Wisdom with me, Dr. Nadu Tuwakli. Here you can expect to hear conversations about everything women over 40 care about. From optimal wellness and peak performance, from intimacy to travel and finances and more. I will be speaking to interesting women and sometimes men to educate and motivate you to live your best life. If you want to find out more, please head over to my website, drtwakley.com or subscribe to my blog. You can also read my book, Sex, Sanity and Sleep. We are in this together. Hello again, this is Dr. Tuakley with Wellness and Wisdom, our podcast for women over 40. And today we are continuing our discussion with Dr. Shazad Green, a compounding pharmacist in Arizona, who does a lot of counseling particularly of women who have hormonal balance issues, menopause, sexual dysfunction, and the like. So the last episode we talked about menopause and perimenopause and sexual dysfunction. And this one, we're going to focus a little bit more on what we would call GYN issues, which may affect a younger population, but still can be of concern to older women, or particularly if you have kids who are going through it. So today we're going to try to focus on polycystic ovary syndrome, which is PCOS. And a lot of people ask, do I have it? I was told I had it. What does it mean? Is it fatal? All kinds of things that people are not sure about. And then of course the premenstrual syndrome, which is the PMS. Uh, there are all kinds of fancy words for it these days but basically it means that right before your period you get mood swings you have horrible cramps you have bloating and lots of symptoms that you don't care for right before your periods you can have it from level one all the way up to level 10 where you're incapacitated for the duration of your period or you may have really really heavy periods which we call menorrhagia and oftentimes that is something that shows up during the perimenopausal phase. But there are some unfortunate younger people who get really severe cramps and very heavy periods. And sometimes kids who can't go to school because of their periods. So let's welcome back Dr. Shazad Green, and she's going to talk with me about some of these conditions.
1: What shall we start with Shazad? Well, hello, nice to be here again. And hello to your audience. PCOS, that's a big one. I always tell patients, number one, it's not going to kill you. It is quite inconvenient. It could cause a lot of heartache and headaches for you, but it's nothing dangerous per se. Then we go through, well, how do we diagnose it and how do we treat it? Typically, polycystic ovarian syndrome means that there's a lot of cysts on your ovaries. Usually people who have PCOS are younger people, although I've seen them in in my perimenopausal women as well, not as much. And these women tend to have irregular periods. If they're trying to conceive and have a baby, they have a hard time conceiving. Like you said, they may have heavy cramping and bleeding. They're usually, typically, but not always, overweight, and it's the chicken or the egg. People who are overweight tend to have PCOS. People who have PCOS tend to become more overweight. And the first thing that we tell our patients is, oh, you've got to lose weight if you want to get rid of this PCOS. And it's really difficult. One of the things that I've noticed lately is that your audience have probably heard about semaglutide or Ozempic, Wegovy, the injections, and it's especially good for patients who have a high A1C, average blood sugar reading for the past two, three months. And interestingly enough, a lot of patients with PCOS do have a high A1C. It may be worth it for a woman to talk to her doctor about possibly using something like that if it's not contraindicated for her health conditions Uh, For example, if you've had a certain type of thyroid cancer, you can't really use any of those. But it might be worth it to try to lose weight and lower your A1C at the same time if you have PCOS, okay? Ah,
0: As a primary care physician, I don't want to hear it. No? Tell me why. No, because folks are already breaking my door down trying to get Ozempic for weight loss. The diabetics can't even get it because everybody wants it for weight loss. So now that you have announced that it would be great for PCOS patients, I can expect to have some more folks banging on the door. I mean, everybody wants Ozempic right now, but that's a whole different podcast. But I'll grant you that Ozempic actually would be a great idea for some people with PCOS because of the reasons that you stated. So for the listener, I will say that someone who has PCOS does tend to be overweight. And in medical school, they taught us that they had truncal obesity, which means that the overweightness is around the middle. And there's a lot of people who are obese and say, oh yeah, that's where I have it. But with people who have PCOS, it's a little different because it's almost like it just gathers there. That's number one. Number two, they do have a tendency to be pre-diabetic. Number three, they tend to be hairy. So they have hair on their chin, um, elevated testosterone levels, maybe hair on their body, that more than the average female. And then, of course, if you look at the ovaries, you may see uh, cysts in the ovaries. The tough part comes when you have someone who has the classic PCOS, including a, an elevated DHEA, but you do the ultrasound and the ovaries, they don't have anything that looks polycystic. They may have a few more follicles than the average person, but they're not by definition polycystic, but they fit all the other criteria. So now we have polycystic ovaries without cystic ovaries, and then we have polycystic ovaries, the classicals, but the argument would be, do we treat them the same way? So. I appreciate your comment on Ozempic, and I
1: can expect my phone to be ringing off the hook. Interestingly enough, there are some, and I'm not endorsing this, but there are some compounding pharmacies that do make semaglutide compounded. If you go that route, and our pharmacy in in Mesa does, but we do not ship out of state. So I'm not, again, I'm not promoting that, but if you do decide to go with a compounding pharmacy, please do your due diligence make sure that they do send it for testing that they actually use maglutide powder itself and not a different form of it such as a salt form or an acetate form those are the, the ones that we have problems with we don't want to promote any of those so there are different ways to go around it and maybe there will be some compounding pharmacy in your area that would be able to, to help some of the patients. It's a once a week injection. The main side effect is nausea. So they usually start you on a much lower dose and gradually increase the, the dose for you. So your body would get adjusted to it. Now, again, that's a different story for another day. We're not gonna talk more about Ozempic, but let's go back to PCOS. You're right, the hairy, you know, facial hair, body hair sometimes even acne those are the typical symptoms of pcos and sometimes it's because of the high dhea or sometimes it's high testosterone level for those things i do recommend herbal products of course there are prescription medications that we could use as well but herbal products that have um, some herbs such as salt palmetto can be helpful in blocking the receptors for the male hormones, testosterone and DHEA. The other thing is hair loss from your scalp. This may come as a surprise to your audience, but usually women with high testosterone have increased body hair and facial hair, but then they have hair loss from their scalp. You and I know why, but essentially the the androgenic hormones cause exactly that. They cause hair loss from your scalp and they cause increased body hair and facial hair. So, the same concept, sulfone metal, may help with that. And if people want specific recommendations, I'd be happy to recommend certain things uh, for them. Just get a hold of me and I'll tell you what to take. So, essentially, when it comes to PCOS, the main treatment when it comes to uh, regular Western medicine is birth control pills, which serves its purpose. So I'm not opposed to using birth control pills per se. I don't like using them for long-term and I don't like using them in uh, perimenopausal women. It just kind of complicates things even more. But if it's for short-term and if it helps women, that's fine. Birth control pill basically suppresses your own ovaries. Therefore, your ovaries go to sleep, they become dormant. And because of that, all those um, follicles, they don't form. The cysts don't form anymore. You're not ovulating anymore. Everything just kind of goes to sleep. And the birth control pill takes the driver's seat and it's doing everything for you without your body ovulating. Uh, Long-term use of birth control pills, for many reasons I don't like, but again, short-term, if it's indicated for pcos yeah that's absolutely fine if patients don't like to use them and they come to me for natural products then we usually start by doing a blood test day between day 19 to 24 of the cycle that's when your progesterone is supposed to peak if the progesterone level comes back low or semi-low then it may be helpful to give you some progesterone to help with your pcos high doses of progesterone can actually suppress your ovaries the same way that the birth control pill does but we never use them for a birth control method so i don't want people to think that if they take progesterone they're going to not get pregnant in fact a um, moderate dose of progesterone may promote your ability to become pregnant So I don't want that to come across wrong to patients.
0: And the thing is that a lot of people with PCOS, one of the other issues is infertility. And so oftentimes these women are actually trying to get pregnant and they've tried to get pregnant for years. And then they start to do the investigations to find out why they're not getting pregnant. And that's when they discover that they have PCOS. So I know that for some women, the idea that they could get pregnant actually is a positive you're talking about Western medicine, Uh, oftentimes women with PCOS are given metformin because their A1C is high, they're pre-diabetic. The assumption is if you rectify that metabolic disorder, they might start ovulating normally and therefore be able to get pregnant. Because obviously if you give someone birth control pills, you're not going to make them pregnant. That's one thing that's for sure. We also use spironolactone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. a lot. Maybe you can explain why we do that.
1: Yeah, spironolactone is the prescription androgen blocker, if you will. So we were talking about over the counter herbal things such as cell palmetto to stop all that, you know, facial hair, body hair, acne and uh, hopefully hair loss from your scalp. Spironolactone is actually the big guns. It's by prescription and it is a diuretic to begin with, meaning that it makes you pee gets rid of that excess water that or fluid that you may be retaining but that's not the reason we use it in PCOS it is actually used to help block the effects of male hormones testosterone and dhea on patients
0: that's because women with PCOS make too much testosterone and too much dhea they can patients. make
1: exactly the listeners
0: might not understand why we're exactly. focusing on the male hormones. <laughs> yes. But these are women that make too much male hormones and also acne. Spironolactone is actually very good for taking care of acne as well. So were there any other over the counter things or herbal things or lifestyle changes that you wanted to talk to us about?
1: As far as over the counter goes, there are studies suggesting that women with PCOS usually have low vitamin D level. Of course, that is a common Everybody thing, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I Everyone has say. vitamin D. <laughs> but definitely make sure that they do check your vitamin D level. And if it's low, um, there are many options over the counter to, to raise your vitamin D. As far as lifestyle changes goes, definitely eating healthier, sticking with more Ooh. low glycemic index foods. Low glycemic index foods, if you Google it, basically, These are foods that do not raise your blood sugar too fast and too much. So if you have the option between eating a sweet potato versus a regular potato, the sweet potato has a lower glycemic index simply because it's got more fiber in it. Therefore, a sweet potato would be healthier to eat as far as your blood sugar is concerned compared to a regular potato. The same thing with fruits and vegetables. If you're eating Blueberries versus Watermelon Blueberries don't raise your blood sugar as fast or as much. Picking the right foods to consume is very important when it comes to controlling your blood sugar and lowering your A1C. Of course, exercising can be very important in helping you both with weight and controlling your A1C. 20 minutes of brisk walk, 5 days a week minimum Is going to make a difference. Do you um, recommend
0: chromium for people who have pre-diabetes or blood sugar (laughs)
1: issues? Chromium, that's a very interesting one. It does tend to maintain your blood sugar more even. However, I have yet to see a patient with a high A1C who took chromium or cinnamon and lowered their A1C by a whole lot. There are some combinations that I like more than others. Uh, there are com- combinations of gymnema, which is another herb, chromium picolinate, and cinnamon, alpha-lipoic acid. Sometimes taking all those, along with exercising and modifying your eating habits, yes, you can lower your A1C. But in my opinion, you well, you cannot not do anything else but just take the supplements and expect your A1C to drop.
0: I actually have some success with chromium for sugar cravings. When people say that they're craving sugar uh, for whatever reason—stress eating, whatever the issue is with the with the cravings—a lot of people, if they take the chromium, it helps them not to start getting up in the middle of the night looking for that ice cream or habits like that that they that they've developed. But I agree with you that chromium alone is not going to reverse pre-diabetes or diabetes itself, obviously. Polycystic ovaries, if you are overweight, lots of acne, very hairy, irregular periods, have truncal, obesity, any of the things we've talked about, you might want to have your doctor check you for PCOS.
1: What I do may be different than what your OBGYN may do, but my goal is to check your progesterone level when it peaks because then mm-hmm. I can come up with a treatment, and that would be day 19 to 24 of your cycle. So a blood test is essential. Then just an ultrasound would be great for your ovaries to see if there are cysts present on the ovaries and how many. There are certain criteria that your OBGYN is aware of, but just like Dr. Tiwakli mentioned, it doesn't always have to be that way. So those are the two ways that we could we could measure. Uh, you know that there's a ratio of two blood tests called LH and FSH, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. Those two must have a ratio, and if it's beyond a, a two to one, it may suggest again, depending on the time of month, it may suggest PCOS for you.
0: And then a blood test for testosterone, DHT. Oh, absolutely. MD, um-
1: T H E A. Yes, I am sorry. I did not um, mention that. So when we do blood tests, we want to measure LH and FSH. We want to measure your estrogen levels because oftentimes due to the presence of so many follicles or cysts, we do see a high estrogen level. So sometimes people become more moody and irritable too due to the high estrogen level. And of course, we want to measure your testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, which is a byproduct of testosterone in addition to DHEA or DHA sulfate. All of those things are important. And then progesterone, we want to measure that and your vitamin D level, vitamin D25OH. In addition to that, sometimes it's also helpful to check your thyroid because thyroid um, imbalance can definitely affect your female hormones. So it's always a good idea. If you're going for that blood test, then have your thyroid checked. And then your doctor can actually, I'm sure they would be, you know, ordering those tests and exactly diagnose you.
0: So let's talk about an even younger population, the premenstrual syndrome, the PMS. And a lot of patients suffer from this. If they take, what is it over the counter, midrin or something, i think it's called midrin that is an over-the-counter preparation i thought midrin
1: was for for migraines yeah migraines yeah yeah for pain but it's basically
0: just aspirin anyway it's aspirin and caffeine combined some folks take it for you know around the time that they get menstrual cramps or they may take ibuprofen or naproxen Mm -hmm. and for some females that's enough to control it but then you move to the next step where the pms is almost disabling the girl can't go to school Mm -hmm. or I say girl but there are women in the 40s still having severe dysmenorrhea so are there any over-the-counter kinds of herbal things or compounded supplements that they can use for this agony every month
1: (laughs) so when we talk about PMS we're talking about a whole bunch of different symptoms obviously one of which is the severe cramping and bleeding. Some of it has to do with the moods, so getting irritable, moody, having mood swings, crying. Some of it has to do with bloating and fluid retention. You just feel like your clothes don't fit. You just, you know, don't feel right. So there's a whole bunch of things that, that may happen. And some of the time, PMS can be related to a drop in progesterone level or your progesterone level not right to where it should actually be. Again, if we look at a perfect cycle of 28 days, so every 28 days you get a period, for example. The first two weeks, uh, your hormones aren't that high. Then you ovulate and that's when it starts going up. And then the second two weeks, which is called luteal phase, that's when the hormone levels are supposed to go much higher. Progesterone in particular is very important in controlling the symptoms of pms so over years especially as women get older you're right in their 40s as there is a drop in progesterone level in general a woman may experience even more pms than before because the estrogen level is still high and the progesterone level has dropped so there's a gap between estrogen and progesterone and that creates even more symptoms of pms regardless When we're dealing with PMS from um, early on until menopause, what we want to look at is actually look at the progesterone level during the luteal phase. And if it is low or slightly low, we could try a little bit of progesterone to see if it helps the patient. And going back to when you said, you know, sometimes patients take things from day 14 until I talk to the patient. I say, when are your symptoms the worst? Are you having trouble from the beginning of the month till the end. Some patients say, you know what, I feel horrible from the time that I stopped bleeding until the next period. Some people say, no, I'm doing fine, except that last week before my period. So depending on when in their cycle they have symptoms, we may actually put them on progesterone and kind of experiment with it and see if their sleep improves, if their moods improve, if their bleeding improves. Sometimes if the bleeding is very heavy i may even have them take the progesterone you know every day of the month the Whole month right mm-hmm. to to see if that makes a difference sometimes it does sometimes it does not and of course going back to birth control pills that is another option mm-hmm. for people who really that have. seems
0: to be the standard therapy these days right. for pms although i personally don't like the idea mm-hmm. If someone's going to be on birth control pills for a couple of years, that's one thing. But if you have a teenager at 16 with severe PMS, who's not sexually active, that child may be on birth control pills for 30, 40 years. And I don't feel like that's a healthy uh, solution. So I generally will hold that back. I know the GYNs are always here, take this birth control pill and, and it does help with cramping and stuff. but. It's nice to think that there are other options. So would you give compounded progesterone to yes. a teenager?
1: Yes, we would. And again, being sexually active or not does make a difference because, again, we don't want mm-hmm. to do something and cause more harm. But there's a lot of counseling that goes into that. We don't just put them on progesterone and send them their way. We, we have to make sure that they use precaution in case if they become you know, sexually active.
0: Would you be giving progesterone cream?
1: No, usually it as a capsule. Usually it's a capsule form because it's more clear cut. Mm -hmm. The progesterone cream tends to last in your body longer. So if we want to give progesterone to them, let's say from day fourteen until twenty five of the cycle, we want a clear cut. We don't want day twenty five to kind of linger on and throw off their period at that point
0: would do you give your progesterone at night in general the
1: capsule form yes it, know, at night because yeah, it does because help you some sleep people
0: better. get drowsy with it if they take it in the morning also it helps with the sleeping exactly. so i will normally start progesterone at night unless you know it's required that they do some in the and of course by taking it by mouth that makes you sleepier than using the cream. Right? Absolutely, the
1: cream does not go yeah. as much through the liver, so it does not get converted to the other byproducts that may help you sleep better when you take the progesterone capsule, because the capsule will get go through your digestive tract and get absorbed, go through the liver first before it gets distributed throughout your whole body. So your liver does certain things to that progesterone molecule converts it to other byproducts that would help probably with, you know, sleep. Make you yeah. sleepy. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there a downside to giving progesterone to a teenager? We're talking about natural mm-hmm. progesterone. I want to be clear. I would never consider giving the
1: medroxyprogesterone synthetic yeah. to the, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the downside could be if, if we are giving a very high dose, then it could increase your appetite. It could make you gain weight again if we're overdoing it we don't want to overdo that right it could throw off your cycles so it Mm -hmm. could make you more irregular some people who have severe depression although progesterone does usually help you with depression it reduces but if we overdose you
0: especially the pms kind yep
1: so we have to be careful again there's a lot of counseling that goes into that when we do give progesterone to Younger women with PMS, because we want them to know the facts and keep a diary. I always ask them, keep a journal of your symptoms when you take your progesterone or any hormones for that matter, because it could make a difference.
0: But in general, progesterone is pretty safe.
1: In general, it is safe, yes.
0: doesn't doesn't have a lot of um, bad side effects. The natural progesterone, because mothers would be worried about giving their daughters progesterone, if you just say, and you mentioned medroxyprogesterone earlier, defo-provera, and I really tried to stay away from that because of the long-term osteoporosis and all the other kinds of things that happen.
1: Yeah, women's health initiative studies showed that there was actually an increased risk of breast cancer when patients took estrogen combined with provera or medroxyprogesterone formula. We don't promote medroxy I
0: don't either. Well, Shazad we are at the end of this podcast time flies doesn't it it does but thank before you we so go, much
1: can i add one more thing sure okay those ladies who have a lot of mood swings and irritability associated with their pms i want you to know that there are some herbal things that we could recommend for you i don't Absolutely. want you to feel like mm-hmm. going on um antidepressants or mood stabilizers um, are the only options for you.
0: Thank you so much for coming on wellness and wisdom. I hope we can do this again sometime and I appreciate you taking the time out. And I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot. Well, it's
1: been my pleasure.
0: Thank you for what you do for women's education, because women have to understand what things are and understand how things work, how their bodies work. And then they can make the decision for what is best for them. So I appreciate people who believe in educating and counseling, uh, women. Good job. Keep up the good work.
1: Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Talk to you soon.
0: Today, we've talked about a lot of things related to women's health, polycystic ovary syndrome, menstrual cramps, PMS, moods affected by your periods. And also what we discussed earlier in terms of menopause and perimenopause. So I hope you found this informative and helpful and if you did, please click on the follow button so that you can be informed of whenever I make a podcast and also give us a like and share it with your friends and colleagues. I'm always happy to answer questions. You are welcome to leave questions in the chat box or comments and if there's any additional information that you need from this podcast, please let me know. In the meantime, I'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. This is Dr. Tawakli signing off. Bye.